All right, Brent, what's going on, man? I'm happy to have you on for the first time. Yeah, good to be on. What uh, What's going to be your backdrop? Or are people supposed to know that you're on a green screen right now? They don't know. I don't know what I don't know what it's going to be. It's all what uh, Alex decides uh, he wants my background to be. But I will say this: um, a lot of times he has like video game backgrounds or like really yeah. like yeah. anime things and stuff that I, I don't actually play. But it it's definitely like this little Easter egg thing that he gives to the audience, which I think is really cool. I always get a few. Yeah. Comments. Okay. Because I yeah. wasn't sure if you were going to do the whole like like red curtain. We're going to pretend this is Joe Rogan energy. No, that's V Shred. V Shred does. <laughs> yeah, that. I know. Did you see I that? Saw that? Man, that is oh, that's one of the most cringy things I've seen on the internet, maybe of all time. I don't but know. There's not many things to top that. If I look at the comment section, though, a lot of people are like, "Zach, you're coming from this all wrong. Um, he's not a person." He's an extension of the corporation that started. So V Shred is the company and he's like this avatar for it. So in that way, it's like, oh, that, that makes a ton of sense. Like he doesn't, he's he's not, you can't look at him like a per person. He's just a uh, mouthpiece and he's a body. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's probably how a lot of people justify a lot of weird things. I mean, it's just, it's like a soulless, but non- it's not a, you know, we're, we're in a world where in social media, like we, we have this parasocial relationship with people and we feel like, you know, there's this connection there. And that's something that marketing, you know, people can use to their advantage to sell their product. But in th this guy's case, um, he's, it's literally like, I, I don't know anything about the company because it's private, but uh, so many comments where people being like, he's, he's like, not, you just can't look at him like a actual influencer. He's just a you know, a, a paid puppet. actor. Yes, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's no different than like, hi, Billy Mays here. It's like, you right. Know, he just reads the script. Yes. He's not a Inter human. Yeah. He's just a. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I which mean, is, I guess. Yeah. Which is interesting with like AI too. If you think about it, like um, you can make people speak and say things like, I'm pretty sure like Donald Trump's latest Instagram posts where he's like promoting his training cards. I'm almost positive. It's AI speaking, which is super interesting, but wow. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a, that's something that like, uh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm bringing to your mind for the first time is like the fact that like these people, like it's, it's kind of like what's called an industry plant. Have you heard of that term before? I haven't heard that term. So in music, you can like give people a backstory, like, and it happens a lot on TikTok yeah. and then yeah. you give them this backstory, this big company and they, and they like kind of like white label the, uh, the person they're just like, yeah, this is our little you know, and then they're like, yeah, I grew up in a tough town and all this shit. But like, meanwhile, they're just like making, you know, tracks in the studio and then releasing them being like, oh, wow, like this is my dream come true out of nothing. It's like, no, they're just straight up an industry plant. So I, I'm I actually have this kind of idea for a, a video, but it's happening in fitness, which I think is. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've, I always I'm not naive to the fact that obviously people have a persona for social media and like a real life persona. And in the same way, like I don't speak the same way to my grandma that I speak to you. If you were to have my, you know what I mean? Like we all have this like code switching or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, to, to take it to that next level from a business standpoint and like, you know, when that happens in fitness or when it's, you know, if you're a paid actor in a commercial and yeah, it, it that becomes very interesting because the lines between, 
you know, your business and your personal life are definitely a lot blurrier than they used to be, you know, 20 years ago before the internet. For sure. And I think not just the internet, but like the social media aspect of it. It's a, yes. it's a very weird world. Okay. Um, I want to get into it a little bit with you. Um, mm. First, I want to talk about like your shape. Like what, what, what kind of shape are you in right now? Like how's the, f- yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to know what Long- shape I'm in? Take a look. <laughs> Full, um, <laughs> as the Grizzly would say, I'm full. Like if you could, you know, without disclosing too many uh, secrets, what sort of shape are you in or what, what's your plans for this season? I know semifinals are coming up. Um, how's that look for you? Yeah, I think really good. Um, honestly, I think, you know, if I'm being like pretty transparent more than I usually would be, I think everything's going to go well. I think my handstand push-ups aren't, maybe as good as I'd like them to be. And I think in another month by semifinals, they'll be better than they are now. But if there's like a really challenging strict handstand pushup variation, I'll probably like struggle relative to the field a little more than I would like, which has happened before. And I've done well in competitions and it really depends on how that shows up. If there's some workout with wall facing strict deficit, you know, three sets of 12 or something. And that's kind of the crux of a workout. I think that'll probably hold me back more than I would like it to if I'm looking to be like a really well-rounded athlete. Uh, but I think my, you know, things like my upper body pulling relative, like things like legs, rope climbs, chest bar, those are going really well, like as good as they've ever been probably. My general fitness is really good right now. Strength of the barbell has been going really well. I've been working with a coach here that I've known for ages and just finally really, you know, leverage that personal relationship to work on my deadlift. And um, just like, I mean, since I want to say November, uh, maybe even October, just kind of revamping technically how I do the deadlift. And so I'm not seeing like some massive increase. Like I'm not seeing some like 50 pound jump in my one rep max, but um, like how I'm positioned and stuff in lifts between, you know, 300 to 450 is like looking a lot better. Is it more should... comfortable? Do you think? Yeah. And it's just, just subtle changes and just, how, you know, I mean, I think I just used to deadlift like a clean, right? Right. Um, Which is common for a lot of CrossFitters. It's just like a different, very subtle, but like very important changes. Um, And so kind of been figuring out that bracing and stuff and just being, I mean, you know, like longer levers, longer, like longer. Someone was was like, oh, are you more like long limbed, short torso or short torso? I'm like, I'm long, long, long. Like everything's long. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, would you ask that to KD, like Kevin Durant? Like he's just long, long. Like he's got, there's nothing about him that's short. And obviously I'm not as tall as Kevin Durant, but it's not like I have a, I mean, everything's just kind of (laughs) long. So so yeah, I'm trying to, you know, starting to figure that out, how to brace better. And um, so yeah, I I feel like, again, I think everything's trending really well for for semifinals and yeah. Usually you don't, I mean, it's not that you don't care about the open. It's just that you're not as concerned with your placement as long as you're in yeah. that top 10% because then you can put your foot on the gas a little bit for quarterfinals, right? Yeah. So this um, – I thought you did fantastic in the quarterfinals. Did you surprise yourself a little bit? Yeah. they were. You know, once the workouts were released, I was like, oh, these are these are good for me. Obviously, my worst score by a long shot was that first one, um, which was the strict handstand push-ups. And I, was, I had a bit of a – a shoulder injury in like January, February. And then it kind of got better by mid March. It was pretty much fine. And that limited the amount of upper body pressing I could do essentially. Um, and so it was really, it was ring muscle ups and handstand pushups were kind of the two things that were 
that hurt it quite a bit or that I couldn't do for a while. So by the time I got to quarters, I was able to just able to do those movements basically pain-free, but I just hadn't been doing them. So those like 15 or what was it? 21, they had to do 21 wall facing strict handstand pushups to finish. Uh, and those were just, they just took me forever. Cause I was like, I'm just so untrained in this, in this motion right now. Um, but yeah, no, I was really happy with how I did in quarters. I think it was like everything else was a really good representation of, you know, my fitness and, you know, a couple things I lucked out. I've, we've been doing quite a few GHDs and even did some workouts with GHDs and like assault bike or GHDs and rowing. And then there was this workout with GHDs and rowing. I'm like, sick. <laughs> like, that's always nice when you kind of like feel like you're guessing the programming. Um, but yeah, no, I felt like quarterfinals was good. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, looking workout for workout and comparing them to some of the other fit athletes, you know, around the world, I was like, Oh, I'm like, I'm definitely in the mix in my general fitness and strength and just, you know, need to keep bumping things up in that upper body pressing. Do you, do you like the structure of the game season? Like, do you, do you find any issues with it or? Uh, I mean, it's, there's a lot of different ways to tackle it. I don't, I, well, how about this? Guess, how about in, in your, for your situation, it's, it's gotta be fine. Right. Because like your plan is working and you're kind of walking down through the season. Right. Yeah. I, I think, I don't think it's broken. I think that's probably the most important thing. I think it's fine. You know, I think if you were to start a sport like a CrossFit sport from scratch again, with no preconceived notions of what's been done over the past, you know, it's been 15 years now. I don't think knowing what we know now, I don't think this is the best way to do it. Uh, I mean, there's a re like what other sport has an online qualifier to start this season that I, I don't think there's any, yeah, I don't think, yeah, it's not, it's not really possible. You know, any other not, sport. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it theoretically could be possible in, you know, strongman or, or swimming, right. It could be, but it's like, no, we're going to have a swim meet, yeah. <laughs> you know, like come, come to the pool and we'll race together. <laughs> and, uh, so the, I just, I think as much as possible, instead of, obviously you can always try to improve online competitions, but it would be nice if there was like a plan to eliminate them or at least eliminate m more of them. And I think the tough thing is that the open, you know, 200,000 people that do it and they each pay 20 bucks. So like, Whoa, that's $4 million. It's hard to like say no to that or try to like intentionally make that disappear. So there's this on, you know, obviously you want to keep that around. Right. Uh, but you know, I mean, the NBA doesn't have, uh, an open and they make more than $4 million a year kind of thing. And not that we'll compete with the NBA, obviously, I think, but okay, um, you, to, to look at, to look at your sport of CrossFit, the, you have to look at then the individual uh, sports, the biggest ones that come to my mind are tennis and golf. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, even yes. triathlon. Right. But I, yeah, I guess, I guess triathlon, the only difference with triathlon is that you can have, you know, a, a, a heat of 300 people. And so if you think about golf, like you can only fit however many players into that tournament and the same thing with tennis. Um, and so the, the two big things that they have are a player's association or something that considers you a pro, whatever that is. It's like, you're either an amateur or you're a pro and there are pro, there are chances for amateurs to become pros. And then there are chances for people to be recognized as amateurs. So they're not even recognized by the sport. And then they can try and build up into being an amateur position. Um, I think that CrossFit could definitely, that, that definitely could be a possibility. Maybe there is like this, you know, pro variation. And then they basically tour around trying to make money. 
as they go from yeah. competition to competition. And then they have the masters, which is just the, the games. That's the event that everyone, right. And then you can basically are invited to the games. Um, but the invitations can come in the form of a bunch of different things. One of them being through open through qualification process, yeah. other ones from being participating in pro-ams and collecting points and having things like that. I just, I think there's a lot to be like, I, I think we overvalue the, oh, this is such a cool process where, you know, we have the selection process from nothing to going to the games. It's like, well, that that's fine and well, but here we have Brent Fukowski on his eighth games, right? Eighth, ninth. Yeah. Eighth. I think if I make this year, it'll be eighth. Yeah. Right. So your, your eighth games, it's like, well, we don't really need to have a competition for him. Like, He's going to go, you know, and that that's, yeah. that's, this is my argument. This is my kind of thesis. And it fits into kind of what you're trying to do with your players association. I don't know actually what you guys call it, but. Yeah, it's, I mean, they're, they're, yeah, I agree. You know, I think that there's, I like, I mean, it's very cool in CrossFit. There's this appeal to it that it's like anyone can sign up for the open 20 bucks, 50 bucks quarterfinals. You're at semifinals. Maybe you get hot and you make the games year one, but the obviously like, that's really cool. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's frustrating for someone like Travis Mayer this year. And it happens every year where there's like a top tier games athlete who in the opener quarters is, you know, maybe sick or has a little injury. That's just poorly timed. It's like, Oh, sorry, your whole season's over. Cause they had to start from square one. And it's like, you know, Serena Williams didn't have to go to her local tennis court and like, Oh, good job at Wimbledon, but you got to start at square one again. You know, so you're kind of wasting, to your point, I feel as though these there's these popular athletes that people want to see compete, um, ideally more frequently, or at least in person around the world. Whereas like, so for example, like Mallory O'Brien, right? You know, she competed at the game, she crossed it, she came second, and no one's seen her compete and won't until the semis, right? So she didn't just, she decided not to do Rogue, Dubai, um, or she did Waterpalooza on the team, sorry. And then, you know, she did the opening quarters, did really well in those, but it's like, you know, it would be great if you could have a system that was set up so that Mallory O'Brien was incentivized and, and essentially had to compete in Europe. And it's like these European fans would love to see Mal O'Brien throw down or Tia throw down. Like, I don't think Tia's ever competed in Europe. And it's kind of a shame. You have this like six time reigning champ who was like the best. And you're know, like, oh, there'd be people in Europe who would love to see Tia compete. Yeah. But, and that's, but she's too busy doing the opening quarters. <laughs> right. She doesn't need to do those. She belongs at the games. Like, exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah. that's where like that Grand Prix type of thing and, and those events where, you know, oh, racing, racing, another one, you know, these teams are going to mm. be on, you know, racing. Um, But yeah, I just, I think, I, I know I can see where people's heads are immediately. They're like, man, that's a big change, you know, but my thought, I think what you said that I absolutely loved was, um, you know, there's that, there's that thought that your first year you go open quarter semis games and we all know that that's likely not going to happen like it's just like it's it's not going to happen like we can kind of pretty much say that but there are people that are like you know what five years from now i'm going to be at the games and i think that those people yeah. still need their route to that and the way yeah. that i think that they can do that is try and qualify for these events as amateurs build their way up and become pros and and i think it's basically what it is, is it, it's kind of like to gain the, like find a way for the people who are committed 
um, to, to at least trying to become professional and maybe separating them out through some sort of process that isn't just the open um, quarters and semis. And it's weird because I kind of like the process right now, but I just think that maybe this one is probably better. Yeah, I, th I think that, you know, and, and like I said, the one we have now isn't broken. Like it still more or less works. And, you know, right. I mean, part of the trouble is you asked some of the competitions that ran, you know, sanctionals and semifinals last few years. Does it work for the pocketbook of the people running those? Like maybe not. Um, I think one of the tough things is, you know, if you go back to those other sports, uh, you know, compare it really, really any sport, you know, if you're a, if you're a teenager as a crossfitter, you don't really have many places to go compete. And even if you're a, if you're 24, 23 years old and you're like pretty good at CrossFit. And like you said, maybe, Hey, you know, if I keep this up, I work really hard. I grind it out a couple of years. Maybe I'll make semis or make the games. There just are not a lot of competitions around and there's not a like really strong ecosystem of competitions that have like a meaningful like thread. I mean, I, I speak to when I was a youth athlete as a volleyball player, like I was never making the national team. Like there was never a coach or anyone watching me that was like, Hey, this kid, this kid could make the national team or this kid right. could be a, an all-star in the world. Like it's never going to happen. But that didn't mean I didn't have like a lot of meaningful competitions. You know, I was division one, uh, you know, high school provincial champion. You know, I played in club volleyball. I played on like club. You know, I, I had all these tournaments and there was basically systems set up for a player of my caliber to be competitive and to compete. And so in CrossFit, it's, it's kind of frustrating, like because what we do isn't very well defined, it's hard to kind of copy and paste it into multiple events. And there just are not a lot of competition opportunities for people that are like trying to make their way up or trying to, you know, have it as their weekend warrior thing where it's like, okay, like I have this kind of, I know I'm a, a tier three athlete. Like maybe I'll make tier two, tier one, but right now I just want to compete against people at my level. I want to throw down once every three months, like even weightlifting. I mean, how many weightlifters do you know that they're not going to make the Olympics, but they still have meaning to their training and they're going to, like states or, or nationals in like the C class and they're having like, there's meaning to what they're doing and there's like a ranking system and they know where they stand and it's very clear how to get to the next step. Uh, and I feel like in CrossFit, it's sort of like, Hey, figure it out, you know, crush the open, crush quarters, crush semis, make the games. If you can't do those things, it's like, we don't really have a place for you. Yeah. I, I think the, um, the one, the one thing that I would like to, maybe push back on is that yes it's not well defined the sport which i think actually mm. might affect that that kind of tier system that you were talking about but the athletes are pretty well defined like for some you know for a sport that like we don't know what's going on um every year we kind of see the same people and so that's why i think it would yeah. be cool to kind of separate them out and uh and and make them into this pro this pro league you know, which I know you're working on. Um, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So, so I'll kind of give you a little bit of a, you know, elevator pitch on that. So it's the PFA, the professional fitness athletes association. Um, and like the idea behind it was like, kind of, you said most pro sporting sports have either an athlete association or a union. The difference is if you're a union, you're actually employed. So, like the NHL has a union because they are employees of the teams in a league. Whereas, you know, athletes in CrossFit, none of us are employed. So it's an association like, uh, um, it's 
you know, PGA, basically too, sold, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sold proprietors that work in the same industry. Yeah. Um, and kind of, you know, just the, the, the idea is like there are, there is value to having athletes associated together, right? And that value is pretty obvious to anyone who's ever watched sports, you know, and, and, and knows their sporting history in any sport. And so it's trying to, to get that going. And, you know, I, I've, I'll be the first to say I've talked about it now in a podcast or two, like it's not going as well as I would like it to. Um, you know, I spend anywhere from, you know, 10 hours a week on it to zero hours a week on it. It really depends on the week. Um, this week's closer to five. And, you know, I'm working on things that are hopefully going to help um, athletes believe in the association to then kind of lend their voice, lend their time, hopefully to help, you know, push things where we want to push them. And we're so the things that like we're trying to achieve are so different from, from there's such a long list of things that ideally an athlete association would try to change in any sport. And in our sport, the list is so much longer because we just, so many things are poorly defined. And so, you know, for yeah. some, for example, like if you're, if you're in the NHL um, or the NFL or something, you know, you're usually your collective bargaining, right? So you're trying to just get more money from the owners and, you know, just kind of more like rights in regards to, you know, like travel times or whatever. Um, and you're, and you're often lobbying for rule changes that you feel are going to make the players sometimes like safer. So, you know, like a uh, pass interference in like NFL, like we want to make sure people aren't getting concussions. So there's like a certain type of interference we don't want, even though it's allowed right now, something like that. Yeah. Whereas in CrossFit, it's like, oh man, like we just, we just don't have any rules at any comp we go to. Um, and there's a yeah, lot of things powerless. that happen. Yeah, you know, you you know, you go to like you know, I sign up for name a competition because this isn't like a slight against whether it's a semi or Dubai or Rogue or whatever, Waterpalooza. You know, you go to any competition and you're signing up and you don't really know what you're signing up for. You're paying three hundred dollars and you get there and then they tell you what you're gonna do and and what you're gonna do, like sometimes they tell you to do things that are unsafe, right? Like, you know, there's things it's like that's not safe and the athletes feel like, Well, I signed up, let's do it. And ideally, the athletes would feel a little more empowered to 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 have trust with amongst each other to kind of say, "Hey, actually, we you know, I realize you just made this up, and so we want you to change it um, yeah, that's, into something that's, that's just, safer." That sounds incredibly reasonable, I think. And yeah, and, and that and that's just one thing of you know, like we're trying to get uh, you know competitions to be more consistent with like pull up bar heights and ring heights, so the tall athletes can do the movements without scraping their feet on the floor, and the short athletes don't have to jump super high to reach them either right and find that middle ground you know bring out more mats have the competitions plan ahead so they have lots of mats for the short athletes and they raise the rings and the bars high enough so the tall athletes don't scrape their feet on the floor it like, seems pretty as simple though, things yeah it seems yeah. as though like anytime that there's issues like that the cross you know crossfit can just look at whomever it is and be like well this is the unknown and the unknowable we are we are different we don't have these these things in place that these um, luxuries that you can get in other which, which could be argued for, you know? Um, yeah. Like, you know, I, I guess like for but, me, but I, I guess yeah, professionalizing. I, and again, it, the, the main thing that I'm thinking about, sorry to interrupt you is, yeah, no, um, no. is, is that again, like that would be all, you know, well and awesome if this was like someone just trying to fight for something and, and you know, but the reality is like, we're going to see Mal O'Brien for the next decade. Like she's gonna be at the games every single time. So she is a pro where everyone else should not be. And and there are others as well along her side, maybe not as good or whatever, but there are other pros and they should not be lumped in with 
with everyone else there in order to make the sport more legitimate i i suppose that might be the answer yeah i think that's a big piece to it i think it would you know clarifying those lines and then you know once those athletes are clearly kind of defined and there's this like you know let's say there's 100 of them and then the, the bottom 20 like shift if there's you know they're not performing the next 20 come up mm-hmm. and then once those are if those were defined let's say um you know they could start to have more meaningful conversations back back to the pull-up bar thing i, I think I think there are situations where some competitions use the unknown and unknowable as like a crutch and as an excuse when they make a mistake. Right. And so, you know, I think it's like when you've been doing ring muscle ups for 15 years and when you go into a CrossFit gym and a coach says like, I'm going to teach you how to do ring muscle ups and you go to use the rings, they say, no, 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 you actually need to use the rings that you can hang from without your feet hitting the floor. Like that's, what's going to happen when you enter a CrossFit gym in the same way, if you were to enter a Olympic weightlifting gym and, you were to say, all right, we're, I'm going to teach you how to snatch. It's like, well, where do I put my hands? And you're going to tell them, well, you need to, you know, kind of put the bar in the crease of your hips, arms straight, and that's where you put your hands. Um, so, you know, if, if I'm going to a competition and they're asking me to do a heavy snatch and it's on a stubby little bar, like, well, I can't, you know, like I can't perform right. Brent Fikowski with long arms. I cannot perform a snatch yeah. the way that nature intended <laughs> for so me to that- perform a snatch. Whereas this isn't a limiter for someone who is shorter. And the same would go if, and obviously these are two things for tall people happen to be tall, but it would be the same if, you know, they had a, a farmer's carry handles. They're like, Kate, this is the height. And I go over to them and I go, well, yeah, like I can pick these up, but if you're really short, you're going to have to shrug your shoulders, bend your arms and stand on your tippy toes in order to move these. Like it's kind of circumventing the purpose of this movement, which is just to hold something in your hands and walk with it. Um, and so like, you know, again, that's just, it's just, there's just a lot yeah. of things like that. Cause we have a hundred movements um, or more that you're going to potentially see at a competition. So it's like, how do you kind of standardize those and make it just fair, make it fair, make it safe in the face of, you know, that unknown and unknowable aspect, it's almost as if to push past this kind of amateurish way of viewing the sport. Some of those things have to be known, especially, um, to enable to, you know, to protect the athletes from injury uh, you know, and, and also to give them some sort of voice uh, for rules and things like that. I think it's, yeah. I mean, people wouldn't question any players association. You know what I mean? Like not like, um, nobody would be like, man, there shouldn't be an MLB players association. There shouldn't be, uh, an NHL (laughs) players association or union or whatever it may be. Nobody would say that, but I think people are going to push back against you, Brent, because, this is their like little cult. This is their little baby, you know, that they want to hold on to and the way things are and the way things were. But I think people who end up making a profession out of this thing after years, they want to see some legitimacy to that. And so your, your side of it makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, there's a long list of things that a association can do and could do. And, you know, we're trying to, trying to piece those together one step at a time. And it's just, it's a lot of work and we're always kind of looking for more volunteers and it's tough because we're at this infant stage of it still, it's been around now for two years, but um, where, yeah, we're just kind of constantly, we're, we're trying to have some meetings at semifinals this year. I think like that's a big, a big step in the right direction is having some in-person meetings um, just because we're, you know, we're, we all know each other more or less, but a lot of our relationships as you, you know, with your business, you'd know are online relationships. And it's not the same as getting to see someone in person, shaking their hand, 
and being in a room of people and, you know, giving a little speech and seeing people nod their heads and go, yeah, like that makes sense. I agree with that. Um, so we're trying to do those at semifinals and then have another one at the games when people are, you know, all together, but it's tough because obviously those two weekends, as we've just described are by and far the most important weekends of the entire year as an athlete and as a coach. So it's like mm, kind of busy, but um, you know, that's, I think how change can be made and, you know, you sort of, start small and then hopefully as athletes we start to understand that our collective voice has like a tremendous amount of power because it just you know one athlete at semis makes a complaint or you know it's not even semis just any competition makes a complaint um it's like okay well if you don't like it leave but if all of them are kind of like hey we really want this change and this is why and you know this is what we want and here's the reasons then it's okay you kind of have to start listening um and a lot of the things we want are just super reasonable it's all like safety and fairness right it's, yeah yeah you know, and, and like, I want to go, you know, quite frankly, as much as like I said about handstand pushups, like at the beginning of this, like, yeah, I'm not great at handstand pushups, but honestly, like, I don't want to go to a competition without them. Right. Right. Like, it's like, that's, I know that the handstand, the upside down of the sport is a huge part of the sport right now between the handstand skills, the walking and the pressing. And so we expect that in the same way, like I wouldn't want to go to a competition where every workout was under 10 minutes. I'd be like, guys, like there's got to be a long workout here. Come on, like step up. And I think we all want that. We want to leave a competition feeling like whatever place we got was an accurate representation of how good we are relative to the field based on like kind of what we expect to see, which is like short workouts, fast workouts, heavy workouts, light workouts, you know, and we, we don't want someone else to get screwed. And just like, we don't want to get screwed uh, by like a weird standard or, you know, a silly workout or, or a lack of something or too much of something else. And so it's really, it's about that. It's about kind of, you know, just kind of banding together, hopefully, and, you know, inciting positive change. So, you know, you go to a competition, you leave, you go, man, that was just a good competition. You know, that was really tough. And, you know, I felt safe. It was brutal. We did a little bit of everything, you know, and I think as fans, that's what fans want too. It's, it's like nothing, uh, nothing too outlandish. We're looking to, to change, right. Maybe, maybe in a couple of years, if we have a, you know, we can start like pushing for more extreme things if we really want them. But right now it's just like, you know, fairness, safety. So, uh, change to change the, uh, topic just a little bit here. Yeah. Let's um, do it. I want to talk about, um, whether it's people you've ever trained with or competed against, or just even seen on the men's and women's side, who do you think is like the most impressive athlete and they don't have to be active, but. Oh, that's a good one. Um, most impressive athlete. I remember at, uh, I, I'd have to think about that a little bit more. Um, I mean, you don't have to be subversive, you know, it could be yeah, pretty I, obvious. It could, you well, know. I would say, you know, I would say like some of the things Carrie Pierce did were, were crazy. Like her upper body strength relative to her body weight, especially as a female or as a male, like the fact that she had the best time in Mary between men and women, which was 20 minutes of handstand pushups, pull-ups and pistols was just madness like that was one of the craziest things i've ever seen um i remember at 2018 regionals i was really impressed by josh bridges um you know i think i came i came first that year cole sager came second josh bridges came third and josh was just a beast that weekend you know he beat me in i think three of the workouts and three or four of them and then i just had enough on the other ones that it kind of shook out that i won but i was like man you know he those are good he was kind of he was battling like with some them. injuries and stuff. And, you know, obviously on the tail end of his career, 
And a few of the events, I was like, oh, that's not like really a good workout for him, so to speak. And then he just got like a really good score. I'm like, man, you're crazy. Like you're, you're nuts. You know, he's, he's a freak. And then like the obvious answer would be, you know, Tia and Matt, you know, they're kind of Tia, Claire Toomey and uh, Matt Frazier, where they're just, the, they've cracked the code, right? Like they're the blueprint where it's like, oh, it can be done. Like you can run fast, you can run long, you can lift heavy, you can do a ton of pull-ups. And it can all be one person that does all those things. And, you know, those are really the two people that have obviously figured all those things out. Um, but yeah, like, I, like as far as things that I've seen that have kind of made me go like, Oh, like what on earth was that? Um, well, I, I wanna, and even I, like, yeah, I would say I that. And, and about... sometimes, sometimes Noah as well. Some of yeah. the things Noah does crazy. Like his cycle speed is just, you know, he'll like he started a workout once with 50 pistols. It took him 60 seconds. What? And you're just like, yeah. Or he's done 50 GHDs in like 65 seconds. And then you're, you're like, what? Like I've tried, you know, I just can't, I can't do air squats that fast, hardly, let yeah. alone pistols. So like those sort of, it's those little things that, you know, or like I've seen Jeff Adler climb a rope and legless rope climb at the 2020 games. And you're like, you just went up there like an elevator. Like it was, you know, so little things like that. Yeah, I, I actually like those answers that they're very specific. So it's not necessarily an athlete. I mean, obviously you said Matt and Tia would be like the most impressive to like overall, but there were these moments that you can remember that were very yeah. impressive. And you're just like, that's fucking crazy. And I think that's yeah. pretty, that's like, those are the coolest parts about the CrossFit games is like seeing like really crazy shit. Like, okay, this might only be, this might be the only person on earth like this. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like yeah. capable, like Carrie Pierce, that's a great call. Like what she did, like I, you could train so many people <laughs> their entire lives and it'd be really hard to witness them do something like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm not one to uh, really say like, we are the fittest on earth or I'm the third, like, I don't really buy into that, but you know, there are definitely certain things that certain CrossFitters can do that like no one else can do. Yeah. Like without a doubt. Right. And and even like, I think there's things that I can do or have done that I'm like, I'd probably put myself against anyone on earth against, you know, that specific thing. Like, you know, there was a regional where I won a chipper workout, which was just, you know, like wall balls and lunges and rope climbs. And, you know, it's like 10 minutes, 12 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, like, just cause it's so niche. I'm like, I think you could probably, like, I think I could probably beat anyone in that, you know? And it's yeah. obviously, I don't think that means that I'm the fittest. It's just like, it's just this niche set of skills and that's the same with carrie pierce like there's no one who could beat her and marry you know and like, maybe if they train for it for like a year or two but then she'd get to train for it even more and still right. be you, right yeah um so i'm wondering i, I do want to talk about mad a little bit because i i got to hang out with him this past weekend and i met him over wadapalooza and now he's someone who oddly enough i can consider my friend you know and um i know that you you've known him quite a while have you gotten to experience like firsthand what it is that makes Matt Fraser who he is? Like, do you, is there anything off, you know, cause I can think of some just this past weekend that I saw. Um, I think it's a bunch of things. I mean, I think, you know, like anyone who's had like repeated success in the sport, it's probably that, like that sweet spot, like a, like a Phelps type where, like, you know, they have the the body for it or the genetics or the training background, whatever, and then the mindset to match, right? It's sort of those, it's that sweet spot between the two, um, you know, Kobe Bryant or whatever, right? Um, where if they're repeatedly successful, and then this isn't me being like, you know, CrossFit's this 
important as basketball the Olympics or something, but you know, he's had a similar level of success in this sport as those athletes sort of had in those sports. And yeah, I think you're going to find, you know, it's going to be that sweet spot. Whereas other athletes that maybe have good careers, but not like great, great all time, they might have one or the other where they're really talented, maybe not the same like mindset or coaching or whatever, or they're like super driven mindset, everything's dialed in. And then, you know, there's something about them genetically or their training history where it's like, uh, you know, a couple of injuries where they didn't have like the, the longevity or that, like that really pinnacle, um, yeah, would be like my, that's kind of like a general answer, but yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think you're, you're spot on, especially with the mental aspect of it, which I'm like obsessed with. I, I, I love to think about the mental aspect of it, especially after seeing, you know, the, the last dance, the documentary mm. on Jordan and the, and the bulls, the nineties bulls. And I made a, a video after that, basically talking about that winner's mindset and one of the things that like I kind of alluded to, but I wish I had mentioned more was that I have this quote that I love and it's um, low expectation, high standards, because if you have high standards, you are guaranteed to improve as long as you kind of meet those standards. That's it. And, it's, yeah. and, it, and whoever can improve the longest is going to be champion at some point. Like you can't just keep going up and not passing people. Yeah. And what I have found though is with these hyper winners, they do have high expectations. And it kind of kills them a little bit. It eats at them. And you can see when they don't do what they think they could do, they get really mad at themselves. And there's a very select few people who can do that have high expectations and have high standards. So that means when they don't meet the expectations, they go a little bit crazy. There's a very select few of those people that actually end up being winners. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. So and so I think, let me put it to you this way. In, in my opinion, like I think that um, high expectations, high standards works if you are already capable or very close to capable of like actually winning. And, and in this case, like being a world champion, mm -hmm. but you know, let's say you take, um, you know, a, a female or male at the games that came 30th this last year, that's 24 years old. Like if you tried to instill that type of mindset in them, would it work? Because they would just wear themselves. It's like, yeah, so the, the argument is it it might not, right? Because I don't. Well, that I would be my opinion is I'm like, would so so if if it's kind of like Bulgarian weightlifting, it's good for the country, bad for the weightlifter. Where <laughs> um, if you put if if you instilled that sort of mindset into let's say a thousand uh, you know swimmers, like you're going to win the Olympics or you're a loser, kind of like you have like high expectations, high standards, high. It's like you're yeah, like one of them is going to win the Olympics probably. And it's like, see, it works. And then the other 999, they're not going to win because only one wins. And then would they have done as well? And they're they're going to probably burn out because they're like, I got to win, I got to win. And then they don't win. And then they're like, well, I'll win next time. And that other person just wins again. And do they, you know, are they able to like continue to keep going? Like if that mindset is is truly like what it takes, I don't think they would because it's like, there's just so much data in their face saying like well you came 800th like two years in a row even though you did get better because there's another 999 people that are also getting better and you're you know you're kind of like staying in that 800th range 
So, but maybe they would have gotten better if they were like high standards, low expectations. Yeah. So, yeah. I th- you know, but then would that first place person, you know, would that first place person have remained first if they had, if they had taken on the, you know, surrender the outcome, like high, high standards, low expectations, would they still would have won or would have someone with that high standards, high expectations have beat them? It's look there. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) the thing is there's so many different routes and I think a lot of people romanticize and myself included the people like Michael Jordan, who are just like outwardly, petty and vindictive and and they used that to their advantage and i Mm. think i will not speak for matt but given like the amount of pressure that he would put on himself to compete is definitely unhealthy and i think he'd be the first person to tell you that that it was unhealthy but it ended up working for him and Mm. I get this sense. Now, I'm not entirely sure, but I get this sense that once he was out, it was like, you know, like that, that I can take that pressure that I put on myself off. Maybe for an athlete like you, you could be as successful, at least, you know, podium or winning the games in through a different route. I think there's a lot to be said about that. I don't think that we should just be like, well, you got to be like Matt, you got to be like Jordan, you know, you got to be this cutthroat asshole type. I mean, Matt's not an asshole. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. Matt's be not this asshole, type but of I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, I, I think you can find examples of people like, I don't, you know, I don't think Tim Duncan was like that. Yeah. And I don't, you know, and like, I don't think Steph Tim Curry's was, like that. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, they're not Michael Jordan, but as far as like winning resumes, they're pretty close. Like, you know what I mean? Like Steph Curry is the culture of the Warriors. He is a however many time MVP, blah, 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 four time champion scoring three, you know, like he's, you know, yeah. Like, is he like the thing with someone like Michael Jordan is there's a lot of like timing that goes into like that Oh, six championships, you know, greatest of all time. Like there's, there's a certain amount of luck and timing that goes into that, but there's definitely like generational, you know, like every decade, let's so let's say in like the NBA and it's like, you know, Tim Duncan, Steph Curry, LeBron. And, you know, I, I don't think either any of those three are particularly that same. And I, let me put it to you this way. If someone's listening to this and they're trying to apply this in their own life, I think you need to do what works for you. And I think it makes sense to try a bit of everything, whether that's for a week or a month or a competition and try to implement those things. And, you know, even from a mindset perspective, like I don't enter a one or at max with the same type of headspace as I do a 5k run. Right. You yeah. know, or, uh, you know, I try to enter each competition in, from a general sense, the same way. Um, and you know, there's days like, man, there was two days ago where in the afternoon I was so tired. I was like just exhausted and I was crying and I still trained, <laughs> you know, like there's every part of my being was telling me not to train. Cause I was just, man, I'm so tired. Like I can't focus. I'm just feeling really emotional. I don't feel, I, I just can't, you know, I'm like, I don't know what it is. I just, maybe I need a nap. And I really, like, I started warming up and I was like, I still don't feel like training. Like, this is stupid. This isn't. Uh, and I'm like, no, Brent, you have to train. And I finished my training session, you know, yeah, so I, even, even though I'm like a surrender the outcome kind of guy, like I'm, you know, still willing to yeah. do that sort of stuff twice. Okay. A week, you know? I think there are caveats. <laughs> I think there are caveats to both sides and and I, maybe we can agree on what these caveats are, but so like, let's say, you know, the surrender the outcome. Okay. Yeah. 
to a certain extent. Because you can start to use surrendering the outcome as a cop out. I don't know. Oh yeah. Hell yeah. You can. Yeah. yeah if you're so not careful. I, I, I can be like, dude, I'm totally a stoic trainings. I don't feel like, you know, training is bad. Like I have to have this huge, no Brent's like, fuck that. I'm going to do it. Okay. Like every once in a while, you need to put yourself in that position of like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm you need to be a, like a, a, a Matt Fraser or, or a Michael Jordan. And I think maybe on the other side, somebody who, uh, again, we're just using that as examples. Um, but somebody who is high expectation, high standard, every once in a while, it would be okay if they could lower their expectations, you know? Um, or yeah, and, like, and you watch, and you watch the last dance and like before one of their big playoff games, like Michael Jordan went golfing for nine holes or 18 holes. Yeah. And he doesn't just golf, bro. He doesn't just golf. He gambles. Well, he gambles. He, he's but, you gambling know, he, like, hard. He was, he, but he was still like, you know, and, and, and it's the same with, you know, it's not like every moment he's shooting a basketball and just like staring at the ceiling <laughs> doing this. You know what I mean? And it'd be the yeah. same with any high performer. Like, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, so I think sometimes that, that energy can be um, romanticized in like a documentary, for example. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but, you know, there still are moments where, you know, Michael Jordan was probably playing with his kids for 30 minutes. Right. You know, on, on, a, on a Tuesday after, tra- you know, like those things are still happening, just like they're still happening for me. Like, you know, I'm still just reading a book in the evening, you know, or whatever. And just like, I'm sure Matt Frazier did, you know? And, yeah. um, and, but there were still moments in competition where I would like chase people down, you know, when I felt like my heart was going to explode. Like, you know, those things are still happening. Um, I'm not like, you know what? I need to conserve my energy, whatever, whatever I can give is enough and just jog to the thing, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think there's like, there's, there's an ebb and flow and um, certain things people will gravitate towards certain things as maybe like their primary, but you're going to still have, um, you know, there still has to be an element of, of joy and fun in some of your training and in some of the competition. And I think um, yeah. for, for anyone listening or anyone who either romanticizes either side, I think it's fun to experiment with certain mindsets, just like you would experiment with certain training styles, experimenting with some crazy mindsets and just being like, yeah, that didn't work for me. Or maybe I'll revisit it or things like that. I think, I think are really cool. Yeah. I think it's, Oh no, it's really cool. Right. And it's, you know, you can, you know, I'll listen to podcasts. Um, and now I'm that I'm, you know, older, I'm 32 now, like I'll, I can kind of piece together what, what makes sense to me. And I'll listen to like the high performance podcast or whatever. And you talk, listen to athletes or business owners and, you know, there's certain things that like really resonate with me and certain people I'm like, man, this is my guy. Like, this is, this is my guy. And all the people on those, these podcasts, this, I listen to this one quite a bit. It's from the UK called the high performance podcast. And they have these high performers like freaking CEOs, coaches of teams, you know, whatever, like these successful people by any metric. And they all have different ways of going about it. There's going to be some threads. Um, but you know, there's some of them and I'm like, this is my guy. I got to listen to this again. Like this, this resonates with me. And, and then other people I'm like, this is, this isn't it. But you know, they all experience success and you know, yeah, exactly. You know, there's, yeah. A, there's a lot. And you know, we obviously, you know, we might look at, let's say Michael Jordan, but you know, you could find, let's say let's say your metric for athletic success is um, gold medals at two consecutive Olympics in an individual sport, right? Like that's, that's elite success, right? That's, that's not a fluke, two gold medals in a row. And you could find probably, I don't even know 
500 athletes that have done that in the past couple decades. I don't know. Let's say, let's say there's 300. I mean, I'm sure they all have very different ways of, that they got there yeah. mentally, physically training styles. Like some of them would have taken a full year off and got back on it. Someone would have trained the next morning right after the gold medal. And it's like, none of it works. All of it works. None of it works forever. You know, you got to, and I think probably more importantly, I think a lot of them, if you really drilled it down would probably say like, yeah, like this worked for me. Yeah. You know, and I think trying to force a certain mindset on a certain type of like, I mean, kind of like this is away from mindset a bit, but um, like I'm a, a naturally like analytical kind of person. And so like for me, that works. And if I was coaching someone that was a more instinctual, emotional type of person, I couldn't be bombarding them with split times and right. numbers. Yeah. And they'd just be like, it's not working. I'm like, well, it worked for me. I, I went to the games eight times. It's like, no, like, and they could be more successful than I've ever been, or they could be as successful as they're the only way to get them as successful as they can possibly be. And we don't know what that ceiling is for that person is to figure out what works for them, you know, and that might not. And then the reality is too, like, quite frankly, there's a lot of people that are not going to get gold medals at two consecutive Olympic games, but maybe like best case scenario for them is a fifth and a third, which is still pretty good. All right, Brent, let's wrap up this shit burger, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's put the wrapping on it, put a little sticker, put it uh, in the brown bag. I appreciate you coming on, man. <laughs> really, I do. Um, it means a lot. And uh, I'm sure we will get you back on this show yet again. Um, where is your semi? Is it is it the West Coast one or East Coast one? Yeah, Pasadena, California, West oh, yeah. Coast, May Sweet. 26th. Are you going to be there? Maybe, maybe. Yeah. See if I can get. Yeah. It. Um. There'll be lots of you know dudes in shirts and girls in crop tops and dudes out of shirts. You know, Definitely. Yeah. Dudes out of shirts. Yeah. Probably you know carbonated caffeinated beverages and uh, I don't know just people people doing burpees and having a good time. All right, dude. Um, guys, check him out on Instagram. Also, wait, you got a, a bunch of stuff to check out on Instagram. Lay it out for us. Yeah. Yeah. So primarily you're going to want to go to at, you're going to want to at what's Z Talander unfollow. Then you go to at Mikowski <laughs> follow. Um, he doesn't yeah, no. even know my at. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's Z, coach ZT coach. Yes, coach ZT. ZT. Yeah. That's, yes. that's it. It was yeah, like unfollow me. Yeah. Unfollow him, leave a negative review uh, on Google maps. And then <laughs> <laughs> Go to Plex, no. And then, uh, yeah, at Pekowski. And then I've got, uh, I've got. you want to get your first muscle up or like your first double under or you're struggling with handstand pushups, go to at Train Your Weakness. We've got cheap programs, um, you know, like six-week programs, like 30 minutes a day, two days a week kind of thing to get your first muscle up, get your first double under. Those have been a lot of fun to make. I've been working on that for a couple of years. So that, that's the thing I'm going to plug today. Okay, cool. All right, dude. <laughs> See All right, you guys. Bye. Bye. See you, internet. Woo!